good space name, y'all. In this special on the road episode of the Citizen Cosmos podcast, I catch up with Web3 builders to ask them more or less the same set of questions revolving around motivation, goals, and their current work. The episode consists of two parts and is recorded during the Lisboa blockchain week events. So the sound is a bit more raw than usual, apologies for that in advance. The first part contains interviews with Gregory Landua from Region Network and JK from Stakefish. We need something like the blockchain to help secure that truth because you and I and other people may not trust each other, may not agree with each other. I think young people really care about climate change. That's clear. There's protests, there's all these surveys saying how much millennials or Generation Z care about climate change. It's like chicken or the egg. I'll take both, please. Ah, nice. I like it. Thank you. Finally, somebody said that. Finally. A lot of our, I think, values in life, things that we solve are dependent on time. I think time management is very important for values. Currently, in its current state, antitrust law is reactionary. It's not preventionary. There's nothing to do to prevent it unless the incentives are not there. As I mentioned, the incentives are clearly there for people to try to monopolize. My entry into crypto was not Bitcoin. It was smart contracts, surprisingly. That's why I really emphasize and I really strive for market competition, for more competition, because at the end, competition leads to the best outcome for the end users, consumers. Before we rock it off into our next episode, here are some news from the sponsor of this episode, the Cyber Congress DAO. The foundation has started its delegations policy for validators on the Bostrom blockchain, and the Space Pussy Network was launched, with 96% of its supply to be dropped to various Cosmos ecosystem chains. So, what's your name? My name is JK. I used to work at uh, Stakefish as head of business and strategy. Currently officially unemployed, but it's been only four days. <laughs> JK, you just ruined the rest of my questions. No, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Let's go along with it, but you will see. And feel free to answer whether you want to include some of the philosophy of Stakefish or the views of Stakefish for the next questions, or whether you would prefer to answer from what you're planning to do. So maybe that could be another interesting yeah. way for you or to answer the questions and for me to understand the answers. <laughs> right, right. No, no, getting confused. Okay. Could you explain in what field, I'm going to try and make it more vague, more abstract, more open, in what field do you work at right now? And what are you planning to do after Stakefish, whether it's going to be the same field? And yeah, let's start with that. Okay. So like what I'm currently doing is I'm currently doing, I think, a lot of ideation work. Right now, I'm like brainstorming a few ideas of what I wanted to build. So just to clarify a bit, to take a few steps back, I've worked at Stakefish for the past four years, and it's been a blast. I loved working as a validator, like basically with other validators as well. Like we basically started validators when really validators weren't even needed. Uh, there was like only EOS, uh, maybe Tezos, Loom Network. There was basically no need for it, but like we saw the growth of how important proof of stake is, staking is, and validators are. And it was just fascinating to be part of that growth. But along the way, I've definitely seen a lot of issues and problems uh, that I felt was worthwhile you know, trying to solve. I tried to solve some of these within Stakefish, but also thought that eventually I would want to build a product out to try to um, you know, tackle some of these. So let's fast forward to like now. My main motivation for leaving Stakefish was this uh, passion or this urge to try to start something new 
to try to tackle these problems just became too big. I just needed to do it. I just needed to take the jump and try to start building important tools. I want to empower and provide more transparency to what's happening around staking as well as validators. And this is where I'm exploring. I'm spending a lot of time bouncing ideas internally myself, but like with other people as well, trying to see what sort of products I want to tackle first to help empower stakers as well as validators alike. And this eventually, what I'm hoping is, will help then further decentralize and power these proof-of-stake blockchains that do rely on staking of validators. I like that. Now I know which way we can take it. So could you elevate the problems that you're talking about? You mentioned world problems a lot. Imagine that we are right now, I'm not from the crypto world. Could you elevate for me the problems that you're trying to solve? Yeah, you've made it very difficult for me because I don't foresee the problems I will be solving to be something for my mother or my father or my grandparents, you know, people who are not in the crypto world. Like the thing is like what I want to help empower are the actual products that do face these people in a sense. So like as an example, wallets is a prime example. Wallets have to think so much about how to make it easy for ordinary users to learn the basics of mnemonics of like safekeeping their key, that they have full sovereignty and control of their own assets. I think many of them are doing a good job and reiterating on how to improve upon that. So the problem is though, when they are then thinking of enabling staking for their users, like let's take Cosmos as an example. We have so many app chains now with the app chain thesis now fully in effect. It's a challenge for these wallets to integrate staking for each of these chains. It's a challenge for them to even understand how Proof-of-Stake is different across these different app chains. It's a problem for them to even analyze and understand how these staking economics work. So what I want to do is help empower these wallets. And, you know, wallets is just one example, but it could be explorers, it could be exchanges, you name it. I want to help them really make it easy to integrate staking and then fully then help them further explain it downstream to their end users. So. At least I do plan to eventually create retail-facing, user-facing products, but I don't anticipate to have first-time users coming and just doing staking because like, I really don't recommend that for first-time users. I think like it's just a learning curve. But at least for experienced users, I know how stakers are suffering, how much difficulty they have chasing down information, and I want to make it easy for them. Let's try to zoom out then. Let's take the stakers. What... What product problem are you solving for the stakers? How, I mean, you spoke before about values and what value propositions are you solving for the people who want to stake and why do they need it? I mean, what's going to help them that there are going to be values in it? How is it going to help them to not lose their money or where at Solana Breakpoint? Come on, <laughs> it's going to be that question. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so... Simply put, if I ask a multi-chain staker, I'm not talking about someone who's very passionate only about one chain. And if they're staking only one asset, they're already an expert probably on that chain. They probably have all the assets, all the tool sets necessary. But let's take an example of a very passionate early Cosmos entrant. Uh, these are people who were with the hub launch. They've had atoms. And you know, if you staked atoms, right, you were provided a lot of assets on different chains. You know, we have Juno, we have Osmosis. There's various different chains where you got a lot of tokens just for being an active staker. So staking Adam 
probably was easy to handle because you have MintScan, you have like some ways of really deep diving into the Cosmos Hub. But now you have three, four different chains. Add on any other n number of chains that the staker might have. How do you manage all those staked assets? How do you understand whether or not the validators you've delegated to are actually performing well? There's a lot of stale stake. I just want to make that clear that some of the validators are just not really up to par or performing as well as much as like the other peers are. We do have slashing parameters to basically make sure that you know stakers are staying aware, but slashing is relatively a lenient penalty comparatively. Because if you really look at like uptime, like there's a lot of validators that really far fall behind the the par. And so for stakers like these, there's no tool. Like simply put, there's zero tools out there where they could instantaneously tell whether or not their stake is actually being put to good use, where they are earning optimal staking awards, whether their validators are actually performing well. This sort of information is just not there. I don't even need to have to go into the wallet end too, right? If you are staking Cosmos, uh, Atoms, Soul, ETH, good luck with wallet management. I hope you have <laughs> different hardware wallets for each of them or something. I see these as problems and I want to help solve it. Time management. That's a good pronoun. A lot of our, I think, values in life, things that we solve are dependent on time. I think time management is very important for values. What motivated you to join crypto originally? What was your motivation, personal motivation? Yeah, this one's an interesting story. I used to work in antitrust. And what, what this does is basically, I work for a consulting firm that helped companies analyze whether or not they've price fixed, whether or not they've monopolized markets. And like by markets, I mean like really subsectors. You know, you could imagine like give any technology, give any phones or like think about each of those components. They all constitute the market. And if you really dig deeply for the past decade or two decades, a lot of these producers, creators of these technology, whether you give it, you know, IT or just like you know, actual manufacturing, it all went through these cycles of uh, consolidation thanks to like, you know, abundant capital. And the fact that like the equity markets really compensate hyper growth at whatever cost. And so they've, it's all consolidated. If you really dig deeply, most of these are all oligopolies at this point. My job was to like really analyze the data behind like how markets have consolidated and whether or not there was harm doing. Well, my conclusion here overall, like life-wise, when I like you know, in, you know introspectively like thought about like you know what this all meant was that this cycle, the current like entire macro industry cycle, was just a game of consolidation. If you've incurred enough pain to monopolize afterwards, then you extract value. There's nothing to do. That market can't be disrupted until the government comes in. So basically, currently in its current state, antitrust law is reactionary. It's not preventionary. There's nothing to do to prevent it unless the incentives are not there. But they, again, as I mentioned, the incentives are clearly there for people to try to monopolize. So that's when I thought that there needed to be a system that challenges the status quo. There needs to be something that, and that's why I really emphasize and I really strive for market competition, for more competition, because at the end, competition leads to the best outcome for the end users, consumers. And so I wanted to see competition provided to these monopolized markets. And that's how I came to the ideas of decentralization. 
of the fact that there might be ways of a decentralized entity to be created and coordinated so that not necessarily one centralizing entity will just try to value capture everything. And my entry into crypto was not Bitcoin. It was smart contracts, surprisingly. It's uh, uh, EOS was the first white paper I've read. Yeah, it's people really are shocked when I say that. But uh, interestingly for me, it was smart contracts, a not so much used change now white paper that really got me first interested. That's after then I got into reading Ethereum. I got into like, you know, looking into all these different. It was a great paper. And then afterwards, I've then became interested and realized the importance of Bitcoin. But it's a very different story. Uh, hopefully, uh, that was an interesting tidbit. <laughs> if we were to put it all together, what's your personal opinion on what motivated you essentially is equality, I guess, right? That is the value underneath and monopolizations and all that. So do you think that the current industry, the current for the person outside of this industry, which we are not, of course, but there is still a world around us. Do you think that for them, they understand and see it like that, that the average person, and I don't mean it in a bad way, I mean it in the most positive way that it can be said, for them, does that equality that you're working towards, that we are working towards as an industry that, that we are trying to create, does that help today? Does it solve anything for them today? Or will it in the future? So to answer like at least the one part of your question, just to clarify, I mean, I do want egalitarian sort of a society, but also at the same time, I realize that that's never going to happen. Like, I think it's too utopian. Um, I think the best we could do is have a fair playing ground for people to actually strive and grow. So what I mean by that is I don't want Wall Street, simply put. Like, it's one of the things that really attracted me to crypto. If I wanted to find information about what's going on with a project's development, about what's happening exactly with the assets, I look on chain, I go to the core devs call, I look at their transcripts, I have the information right there. Compare that to Wall Street, if a stock goes up, down, suddenly all of a sudden like there's like huge shocks, you're sitting in the black dark not knowing what's going on uh, until there's like an official filing by the company. I don't know the market has already reacted and I'm just left wondering like what the heck is going on? There's just no transparency around it. This was the story of the entire decade or two, like where a lot of the cases brought upon like the mega hedge funds were always about insider trading cases because they had disproportionate information accessibility. I just want to create a fairer playing ground. I just want to put it at that. I think we've already, to some extent, have brought a powerful tool especially in the financial store of value asset sense. The fact that there are countries where their currencies are crumbling, central bankers are just so much distrust of the central bankers. And these people now have a way out. It's not easy as like, let's say three years ago when regulators, right now it's a bit difficult. I got to admit, like there's central bankers, regulators are doing their best to make sure that their currency isn't devaluing or people aren't just like flying away with capital. But still, like that tool set exists and it's already out of the bag and it's not going back. People have already access to US dollar, which is less volatile right now. I think eventually this will be displaced with BTC, like with actual currency that is out of the hands of central bankers. But it's the gateway drug in a sense. Like the fact that you can own USD wherever you are in the world and have full sovereignty over it, that you can, you're not tied to the state. If there is a war going on, if there's some political backlash, if there's 
prosecution of based on your gender, race, religion, like you have a way out. And the fact that we have that tool, we have created a tool that is, you know, not so strangled by the state, I think is already powerful enough. Of course, let's be clear, we have a long way to go and we got to make sure that that's why like we have to have some emphasis on decentralization. It always has to be one of the core values that we always strive for because the moment we give in, the moment we let go of our values here, that's when we just create Wall Street 2.0. And I'm not here to do that. <laughs> that was very good. Thank you. And three quick blitz questions. And it's actually perfect moment for the first one. Bitcoin or Monero? <laughs> I mean, personally, Bitcoin. Just primarily because it's it's the longest, you know, right? Like, there's just so much value to the fact that, like, how long it's been around. And it's the fodder of well, everything that we do. Uh, so I do value Monero's sort of great. It never, you know, seeds towards like, you know, it never um, gives ground when it comes to privacy, right? Like you cannot, like that's so valuable and powerful, but still we're talking about like the fodder of everything here. So gotta say Bitcoin. <laughs> Big distributed and decentralized DAOs or small and effective multi-sigs? <laughs> Depends on the life cycle of what we're trying to build. If it's a new product, a new dApp that you're creating, like a new DeFi dApp, the latter. You need to be like, you know, until you find product market fit and you've passed a certain threshold of saying like there's no coming back, that like the product itself. Um, I don't think any dApp is there to, there yet, to be honest. This is like still like the early innings of just like what we're trying to create. Uh, I think arguably, uh, that's why L1s, maybe there's like a lot more argument to be made that like, you know, it's already pat. Ethereum is a good example. Of course, Bitcoin is a good example. Like the Cosmos is getting there. Uh, Solana is also on its way. There's like various different L1s. And I think L1s being totally decentralized will be like the first, I think, uh, thing that will have to happen. And like, we'll have like multiple participants, fully decentralized sort of uh, DAO-like uh, decision-making. But for on the DAP end, I think um, mostly efficient, small efficient is the way to go for now. Last one, JK. You're launching a product. You can choose a community of 5,000 cool people. None of them are developers and they're not planning to ever study uh, any development or three very good developers. That is a tough question. Wow. Um, so at least for when I'm starting right now, I'm not a dev myself. I need devs. So I'll definitely have devs. But the thing is, none of these applications or like products matter if you don't have a community. Like I've learned that so wholeheartedly just seeing the different L1s as they, you know, evolve uh, dApps, like, you know, as they evolve, like without a community, like it does, like none of this makes sense anyway, whatever you build. So right now, just because of my own needs, I need these wonderful, like smart giga brain uh, devs, but if I do already, if I did already have at least a working product, like community, um, community for sure. Thank you, JK. And uh, thank you again for the planes at uh, Breakpoint Solana. I'm saying Breakpoint Solana so much, I think I'm advertising them. I'm going to cut that Breakpoint Solana last part out. <laughs> JK, thank you for uh, finding the time to come on again, by the way. Thanks. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, thanks for inviting me. Uh, thanks for meeting me out here, out in Lisbon. Thanks for flying from Madeira. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I got to really visit uh, Madeira. I've heard it's great. So really looking forward to having a Cosmoverse there. Thanks, ZK. Hopefully uh, soon. So what's your name? I'm Gregory Landway. What do you do, Gregory? 
I'm one of the founders of Regen Network. And so I'm currently the CEO of R&D Inc., uh, Regen Network Development Inc. And we do core development on the Cosmos SDK. We're also the core developers of Regen Ledger, which is the blockchain that powers Regen Network. Can you pretend for a minute that I'm not coming from the crypto world and elify to me what problem you guys trying to solve with everything that you do? For sure, Ed, you never heard about crypto or Regen Network. So what Regen Network is doing is building a system for communities to come together and track ecological health, especially the carbon cycle, and be able to assign value for climate positive climate actions. So when a forest is regrowing somewhere, we can help communities get paid for that positive action. When a farmer shifts to regenerative agriculture and is building soil, we can help those farmers get paid for those actions. Those are all public good actions that help stabilize the climate, help build a better planet. They have lots of other value into our economy, which currently isn't really internalized or understood. And so what Regen Network is really built to do is to help bring the, that value of ecological health, which really underpins all of the economic value that we all depend on, Without a healthy planet, we don't have a healthy economy. And so by making ecological health visible and valuable and bringing it onto people's balance sheets as assets, we're helping fight climate change and bring a new economy online. Can you remember what originally was your real motivation that attracted you to this industry? And I promise I will connect it all in a second. Yes. So what attracted me to blockchain, Web3, crypto whatever we want to call it, was an understanding that this is a new expression of social consciousness or social consensus. I'll take a step back. A long, long time ago, humans had the ability to make agreements with one another in a small scale. Right. And so when we were tribal, there were currencies. These currencies were things like shell beads or cacao, and we would make necklaces with the shell beads, or we would make a belt, and it would be both a treaty and it would be money. Money was multivalent back then. It had multiple purposes, is what I mean to say. It was both a currency, but it was also a type of agreement or social contract. What attracted me to blockchain is that with powered by massive computational potential, we're moving back to a capacity to coordinate and have money not just be purely transactional, but to have money actually represent a unique agreement between parties. In the case of my passion, it's a unique agreement about parties that's based on ecological health, which we both depend on. Now we need something like the blockchain to help secure that truth, because you and I and other people may not trust each other, may not agree with each other. And by using the consensus of a blockchain system, we actually make a lot of these really complicated coordinating challenges when building a new type of money that's reflecting natural capital or ecological health. I don't see a way of making that happen without something like blockchain in the mix, really. We can do the different component parts without a blockchain, of course. Like we can do science to tell us about soil health or biodiversity. We can make contracts with each other the old-fashioned way with paper. We could exchange money. But blockchain enables all of that to come together into a single unified system. Just like what I was saying earlier, we used to have this capability of 
that money also being a form of agreement and also being sort of a sacred symbol. And all of that's unified as one. And with blockchain, you have NFTs, you have fungible currencies, you have verifiable credentials or soulbound tokens, all of these different attributes that sort of reconnect us to the essence of what money is, which is a social contract between a whole bunch of people by using your opting into a set of agreements. And in the case of Regen Network, we want the basic agreements that people are opting into when they're participating in an economic system and a monetary system to have an ecological health foundation. In what way do you think that, and I'm saying it with the biggest respect I can, the next word, average person, and I really do say it with mocking of our industry rather than mocking anybody else, but I guess some stigmas are sometimes needed to ask the question, in what way do you think the average person, or do you think at all the average person cares about those things? Do they wake up every day and think, oh, we need to solve these problems, we need to serve the financial system, we need to serve the ecology. Do you think a lot of people outside of our world, which still exists out there, I know not for some of us it doesn't, but it does, and in what way do you think it's connected to people and how, and is it at all connected to them? Yeah, I think young people really care about climate change, that's clear. There's protests, there's all these surveys saying how much millennials or Generation Z care about climate change. So yes, I think people care about that. They, I think they wake up caring. I think people have a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress about an uncertainty and fear about that. And that makes me sad because I want people to feel at home. Like we have this beautiful planet Earth. We can care for it. So, you know, there's a whole conversation there about, so that's one piece is yes, people have anxiety and stress and they care. On the other hand, people care about making ends meet, people care about status, people care about living a good life. What's interesting to me is that in the long term, none of those things are possible without a healthy ecosystem, without a healthy planet. So if you put all of that together, I actually feel a lot of hope. There's huge evidence that there's all these studies that happened where if people are given the choice between a product that's more expensive, but they know does something good or is better for the world, and a product that is less expensive, but they know is totally shit for the world, people will buy the more expensive product. In that case, they're just doing it because they've been given the information, and when given the information, people, statistically, most people, not all people, will choose the right decision, even if it costs them a little bit more. Also, people tend to do things for status. Also, there's an amazing opportunity for conceptualizing ecological health as an asset instead of just sort of like a tax or something we have to do later. If you combine all three of those, you sort of get a little bit of a sense of the theory of change of region network, that this is actually building a new asset class. This is building a new form of value, a new form of wealth that's aligned with ecological health and is aligned with a new sense of status, which is that we can track and reward our ability as society and as individuals to take positive action. So there's sort of this stack that I believe does really deeply resonate with sort of the psychology of normal people, of you and I, and maybe listeners as well, that we all have these layers of what motivates us, and we have to be able to hit on all of those layers. 
Thank you for that because you kind of answered the combining question. It was very good. The last question was just going to be easy for you. The other guys, uh, validator guys found it harder. It was about how is what you do in your opinion solves the problems you were talking about, which you just answered. So small blitz towards the end. Bitcoin or Monero? Oh, Bitcoin or Monero? <laughs> I mean, I guess I would say Bitcoin. Because if you ask me Monero or Zcash or Bitcoin or Zcash, I might have a different answer. Monero, I don't have a big relationship with. I would probably say Zcash. Second one, distributed DAO. Maybe not decentralized, but a big distributed DAO. Or a small and effective multisig. So the distributed DAO, it's unclear what, how decisions are made. It's just a lot of people, they all belong to a DAO, but... You choose. I mean, I would probably go with the distributed DAO. It's a more interesting design space there. There's lots of dimensions. It's more fun. I like that. Last one, I promise. You're building a new product in crypto space, of course. And you have a choice. Community of 5,000 cool people. None of them know coding. And none of them will ever study coding. And ever. Or three very good developers. <laughs> Why does everyone get stuck on that one? <laughs> no, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking. Because, you know, which do you start with? Which do you start with? It's like chicken or the egg. I'll take both, please. Ah, nice. I like it. Thank you. Finally, somebody said that. Finally. Gregory, thank you very much. Sorry to pull you out. Thank you very much for your time. It was amazing. Thanks. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you so much. This has been fun. This content was created by the Citizen Cosmos Validator. If you enjoyed it, please support us by delegating to Citizen Cosmos and help us to create more educational content.